0: And welcome to a my youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Cy Kernan, and Cy is the lead singer of the band The Fix. I mean, who doesn't love The Fix? Everyone knows one thing leads to another, but there are so many more awesome songs than that. Deeper and Deeper, Are We Ourselves, Stand or Fall, Red Skies to name a couple. Cy talks about getting together with the band, getting involved in music, and working with the late great Rupert Hine, who produced their first four albums. We recorded this the day that Eddie Van Halen passed away. Sai shares a story about Eddie. And during this crazy year, Si released a solo album called Fitting Enough, Lockdown. we talk about that. Talk about all the fixes music, because this band, every song has a meaning. There's no fluff of this band. That's why they're awesome. Si, such a nice guy. I enjoyed my conversation with him, and I hope you do as well. So sorry. Before we, uh, I guess, look back. Let's talk about the present now and your latest album, Lockdown, which I really enjoy. I guess it kind of fits the moment where we're currently living in. Was that like an inspiration, the, the whole pandemic, or was this like something you were working on before everything happened? Well,
1: the title was handed to me on a plate because right. it was it was one of those things that, as a as a communicator or an artist, you're looking always looking for a heading that right. would relate to people, well, if this lockdown didn't relate to people at the moment, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what did. So I, I came up with the title and the mood that I was feeling and I was kind of interjecting that I presumed everyone else was going through it. And then I realized that some of the songs I'd been putting together preceding the lockdown and actually right. during the beginning part, matched the mood. So I just put them together in an order and put them out for streaming. Um, it was very instant. It's a lot easier than getting a CD pressed up. And the right. artwork was generated from me just shooting a picture of myself with the mask on and another mask and,
2: yeah. perfect.
1: you know, and so um, I really just wanted it as a kind of a yeah. tip of the hat to my, to my fans and the Facebook crowd that follow me. And um, I wanted to sort of build on that. And it's been very much an experiment also, and just on the how to connect with people through right. just streaming without Hard copy, and I've realized that a lot of my fans really do like something Physical. to touch yeah. and feel. So I'm in the process now of working on a an EP oh, that good. I've recorded, just piano and voice, that will only be hard copy. Oh, good. No stream, no streaming this yeah. time.
0: Right so, now, yeah. Did did the quarantine kind of like accelerate that the, the that lockdown process or a project, I should say.
1: Yeah, it did because I had no no touring plans. Touring plans were out the window. Um, I was, you know, I'm I'm very lucky that I live with a wonderful lady and we have sweet kids, and the kids have been homeschooled for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. So they were used to it. And we, not much of our life actually changed in one way. It was just, it suddenly went very quiet outside. Yeah. And the ocean seemed to be enthralled, all of a sudden we're seeing dolphins like, woo, you know, there's no, no man noise.
2: Yeah.
1: So at the beginning, it was almost like a, it felt like a reset. And then as it's gone on, it's become a kind of a a nightmare reset. Right. Nobody, nobody expected it to go on this long. And then though, you know, in history, pandemics do take a while. And I don't know why we would think that this one would not take a while. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it was part of the process. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, if you listen to the people in charge, this is just like the flu. So it'll it'll go away. Right. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> yeah. yeah. I <I'll> tell you, <laughs> the people in charge. Yeah. They know that they might as well just be charging off the cliff, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about that now. Like, does one thing lead to another? Is that like more true now than ever?
1: That song. Absol- absolutely. Absolutely. Know? Because it's just the wheel of time revolves, and we're yeah. just. Uh, we're living it. We're going to live it, no matter how good days, bad days. You can only get through them right in the moment. And yeah. I, earlier, you spoke about you know looking back at the past, but we can only do looking back at the past now. Right. In the same way that we can only look to the future now, and when we get there, it'll be another now. So one thing leads to another. Is kind of a moment
0: yeah.
1: encapsulated in existence for me. That's what it's become
0: right yeah absolutely and you mentioned before you know how lockdown was basically just a treat for your fans to get out there streaming you know nothing you know f- physical but has the industry like i know it's changed so much but a band like you you, you know you you know, a solo artist and a band like the fix who released you know a ton of cds a ton of album vinyl really how how has it changed for you in, in particular
1: well it's change that the value system of it has changed is that the majority of our income from recorded music has pretty much yeah. d- dissipated apart from licensing income. Right. Um, and then that's on the other side of it, the live revenue stream and our livelihoods has become more that. So yeah. can't complain. It's not like we ever expected to make a living out of doing something we love. We were just very lucky. Right. And so and the biggest payoff for uh, guys at our point in our life was to get out and see people still turning up. Yeah. And that that is the gift. And so we were really getting a good role going the last few years. Then along came the lockdown and cancelled what was gonna be Hmm. Our big, our biggest tour on paper for twenty years, because oh, uh, we nice. we'd been working it and working it and working it, and we were going to go out and do like fifty dates, and then back out this Christmas for another forty shows. Right. You know, we were so looking forward to it. So it's kind of we've had our wings clipped both sides. The right, the revenue, the revenue from the recorded stuff doesn't come through anywhere. And now we can't work, so we're kind of in the same boat as many people. Right. Um. I've never been one to really save my money.
0: No.
2: So, <laughs>
1: sure. so uh, yeah. yeah, don't don't live in that world, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's like hand to mouth and it's yeah. it's not it's not that it should be any other way, but yeah. it just gets you oh I know. panicky, you know. Yeah,
0: it's scary. I mean I've been able to work from home since March. So I'm I'm thankful that I, I, I can do yeah. that. But I, like saw so you guys in Connecticut a couple of years ago. Amazing show! And I think it was going to see you. I think City Winery in New York City. I think you got a couple yeah. Of that. And unfortunately, you know, with everything going on, you know. But let's let's kind of let's go, let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit. You mentioned you know, yeah music. How how did you first get involved in music, and like what was like your inspiration to get involved in music? Uh,
1: it was a music caught my attention from a very early age. There was a lot of music in the house. My mom loved um, flamenco music and my dad was like an Irish balladeer. He was always playing loud Irish folk music and lots of German classical music and marching music. And so I just remember it impacting me as an emotion. It was probably the first emotional reaction I had to my environment was through music. And then um, I was always singing in the church choir and there was a piano at the house. And so I used to find myself tinkling around on that and it just kind of took off. And then like-minded people meet like-minded people. When right. you when you have a love of music, you meet other people that love music. And for them, it's a, not a waste of time to spend hours and hours and hours working on one yep. song. And that was in the shape of Adam in the band, first guy who nurtured my songwriting talents. Right. And we we just grew and we just became obsessed with being in a band and putting something out there that was not nine to five because I had many jobs right. to try and generate and I just it would shut me down. It would just make me feel like I was certifiably unemployable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So how much time were you devote when you had those jobs? How much actual time were you devoting towards your music?
1: Uh, every day... I would say from five pm to midnight to one am, right, every, every seven days Year. a week, right, for years. Yeah, and then trying to scrap, you know, get some shows together. And as we got more serious, we would look for guys that were more serious about turning up. If you know, if you were late for rehearsals two twice <laughs> in a row, you're out. Yeah. And so we we ran a really tight ship, and we would go out. I remember. There was a record store close to where we lived. We made posters and we just stuck it on their f- front door so that the guy, when he came to open for business, okay. he would have to remove our poster. Smart. So one way or another, he would know who we were, yeah. even though nobody else did. Right. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. W- yeah. Was that when you guys were a uh, portrait? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was. Yeah. It would kind of just the idea of just slapping your name around as much as anyone else who was yeah. famous. We just started Right. pretending that we were known yeah and, so, it, and it kind of you know, paid off in him
0: right yeah definitely so how old were you when you wrote your first song
1: uh probably about eight nine something right. like that i was called linda for some okay. reason right oh linda you have got no hairs on your head you leave your toupee on the side of the bed. It was just something like that. And I just started writing this stupid thing because it made my friend laugh. Right. And I would always be like, "Yeah." he'd be sitting on the couch and I'd be just making up comedic stuff. Right. And, then, and then I started to realize that it became more stream of consciousness and it made me feel good. So um, I just stuck with it because not many things in life as a young kid attracted me other than fishing and just lying on my back on the clifftops, looking at the stars and yeah. writing music. Those are the three things, Yeah, you know, family, family life just felt a bit confining and it just felt oh. like, here we go again with right. people just slapping rule, rules on me. Right. I was very um, fidgety as a kid. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. M- most kids usually are. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely.
0: But did you get a lot of inspiration, like for songs by fishing and like kind of looking out at, at the stars?
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what inspiration was. I just knew I, it was um, feelings. And um, I did start to feel that if you put yourself out there, you you transcend the kind of the confinement and the depression of just self-awareness. You know, if you're, if you're nobody and you just keep constantly keep thinking you're nobody, that's all that that's just going to, obs- it's going to be obsessed with this feeling. Mm-hmm. So it, I would escape that kind of confinement of self-doubt and fishing was one of those things where you'd be like, mm-hmm. there's was a sense of magic for me, you know, out in the elements and the wind blows and you get a bite and it's all like, Ooh, you know, it's just yeah. catching a song. is very much like that. You just put yourself out there, write a song, right. you don't okay. know what you're going to catch, but comes right. or it or it doesn't
0: yeah well how many songs like a fish how many songs did you actually have to throw back
1: because it wasn't working I most of them <laughs> it's just one that's of the right size that you can take home for your tea right <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> right now how many songs did you actually have to write before you were actually recorded one
1: um uh Dozens, I would imagine, yeah. because at the point of getting to have enough um, direction and feel that we could record, um, it took a while. We, I have trouble remembering actually when our first recording session was, but I just remember somebody in the band brought a tape recorder down and then first shock was hearing yourself back. Yeah. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound like... Right. Doesn't sound, it doesn't sound any good. It just sounds like thin because the feeling of making music is a lot different than hearing it back. Right. So the first learning curve was to try and make it something that had a bit more beef and weight to come back at you. And then eventually we got our first record deals, portraits. And then we ended up recording the three songs that the record companies loved. And by the time they were finished, I couldn't stand them. It had been so hashed and so worked on, but you're kind of stuck in the first rut of, well, these are the singles and this is what you put out. And and I kind of felt it was out of my control a little bit. It was, so by the time the fix came along, I I remember thinking that if we were going to put stuff out, I wanted to just make sure that it had everything that I would like to survive the journey of the process so that I could, at the end of the day, still go, I like this song and uh, that's how we kind of made our album so from Shuttered Room on it kind of just each song had something that I knew that I could relate to and then that paid off when you're playing those songs many years later on stage that you still relate to them you still have something that it's like children you know you you kind of recognize yourself in them
0: yeah right so the experience with portrait kind of Build, build you up for when you started recording
1: as a fix, knowing the process yeah and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It was like our first step, first foot in the water.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Shutter Room is you know, a fantastic album, the first one, I think, four produced by the late, great Rupert Hine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How um, was how working with him, and what was, like, his biggest strength as a producer?
1: Um, well, it was very exciting to sort of be find somebody outside of the band who thought our music was any good. And so, and he had so much experience already with the recording process and was able to describe how to take your mind into the process so that it would still keep that live feeling. Um, That was one thing he did. He was very patient and he also had a lot of um, clarity. He He could understand where notes were like, working together or something's maybe clashing or unnecessary you know quite often when you when you're starting off if you have an idea just because you've had the idea you think it's got to stay and it's great but sometimes it's better to just stick with the true clear picture as the listener would hear it so he was the first educated listener that we had who could teach us how to best capture our music without being too complicated, which when you're nervous and young, you tend to overcomplicate things.
0: Right. Was that MCA's uh, like suggestion to have Rupert produced or did you no, guys it was,
1: it was yeah no it was our suggestion. We oh. found him before we found MCA. Oh wow. somebody somebody had told us back then to uh send tapes to producers that we thought we yeah. may want to work with because that right. was a way of getting record companies <clears throat> interested. Yeah. And it it did, it definitely worked. We had, um, you know, Rupert's manager became very interested in the the relationship and then he helped out to send the music around to the record companies and he was the one who engineered the deal. So we kind of fell into this great group of people just by throwing this demo tape out to Rupert Hine.
0: Right. Did Rupert, yeah. Did you guys always see eye to eye? Everything was like... You always on the right track with everything? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, <clears> the <throat> guy was just amazing. He was like a psychiatrist. <laughs> right. He's like he's yeah. like a fan. He's like a very eloquent the way he would speak and he was also very gentle. He, he just had all the he had everything yeah. you need to make um the the experience of recording magical. And he didn't try and imp- yeah. stick his imprint. He would right. bring out what was already there. Yeah. Right, that's great. And he did that for all our records. He did that for all four records. I mean, in the end, we just we just grew up and figured. I figured I would be interested to see what it would be like to look at the fix in other person's eyes, eyes, so or ears, as it were. So we kind of we (laughs) we moved on, and um, maybe it was a good idea, maybe it wasn't. But you know, we we went down that road. Right.
0: Yeah. When was the last time you spoke to him, do you remember?
1: Uh, yeah, I spoke to him um, a couple of years ago, right. I mean, uh, before he got very sick. Yeah. I, I would talk to him quite regularly. You know, when I moved to France, he he had lived in France for a while, and he had um, some classic cars in storage not too far up the road from where I lived. And he'd, he'd moved on, but he, he'd asked me to go and check out the state of his cars to make sure they were okay. Yeah. And then uh, he was always kind of there as a friend of um, random moments. We would meet in LA or New York or wherever, you know, right. he'd be around.
0: Yeah. Did you ever take
1: one of those cars out? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah very know, nice.
1: Did he know about it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, it was always when he was there. It oh, was okay. car mad. It was car mad. Right. <laughs> uh, when I watched that uh, movie, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, right. the Ford car that, yeah. um, Christian uh, Christian Bale drives at the yep. end. Rupert had that car. Wow. And I remember him after recording session for yeah. the ink, the ink sessions, he recorded right. all the best things are free for us and crucified. Yeah. We recorded that at Metropolis Studios in Hammersmith. Okay. And I was I was staying with my parents about eleven miles away and he said, Do You want a lift home? So in this car. Right. He gave me he gave oh. me a lift. And it was so loud. We were like waking up the neighborhood. It was,
2: like,
1: <laughs> it was like the second world war going down every street. Right. And then when he, when he dropped me off at my parents, he then had to go home five miles to, back to Wimbledon where he lived. And I could hear him for the next <laughs> 20 minutes. <clears throat> uh, oh, that's crazy. Right. right. It was, so I, I, when I saw that film, it just reminded me of that moment. Yeah. Um, right. That was a really great Rupert story yeah no that's
0: that's amazing <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but shutter room had like red, red skies and um stand and fall you know some some great songs there now like all the songs that you kind of record to uh, have like a message in a meeting was that intentional there's no like fluff songs that you ever recorded right
1: I mean yeah they were messages to me they were kind of warnings and uh, I guess looking back they did have some angst to yeah. them that could relate to, relate to now and quite often I felt that some of my best lyrics have come from somewhere else it's almost like I'm picking this yeah. flow of consciousness from right. somewhere else so whether it's a message that it was just a feeling and if if we are all connected in this unified field, then we're all having these feelings. And so people will pick up on it at some point when they arrive at their moment where standard for of Red Skies hits them. For me, it was very much um, anti-war, trying to get people to realize that just by voting with these, you know, the words of nuclear bomb don't harm. It's the actual effect that the bombs that harm. And politicians have a way of making you, they trick you, they say it'll all be good. And I'll, but by the time they've caused their mess, they've been voted out. And then everyone's left with the disaster afterwards. And they've gone with their pockets loaded off to live in a cushy paradise somewhere. Right. I don't trust, I don't trust them. I never have. No. You know, to me, politicians, very few, there've been some natural visionary leaders. I don't call those politicians. What I, to me, a politician is someone who's, lining his own pockets right by lying to the masses and yeah. putting on you know like as if he's doing something for humanity
0: it's, it's
2: true to me
1: best thing the best thing most of them could do is just go and disappear
0: you're you're right and it's true <laughs> it doesn't it, you know it doesn't matter which side you're on because there's politics no, that's, it, it, sides. It, you know, it's, you
1: know it, exactly my heart is in the middle of my body for a reason right and you know, my left hand and my right hand, I need both of them. You know, the sound of one hand clapping is pretty quiet. Yeah. You need, right. you know, but to, today people are so divided because of misinformation and yeah. misunderstanding or not even bothering to uh, question anymore. They just blindly believe. It's a very dangerous time, very dangerous.
0: It, it is. It's, and it's, you know, the songs that you've written, over 30 years, you know, ring true
1: more now than ever, and it's you know, it's, it's so true. Yeah, that was it. Was the kind of to me when at that time we'd just come out in the late 70s, we were coming out of a kind of depression, there was a right. recession going on in America and in the yeah. Western world. So, along comes Mr. Reagan, and it's morning in America and then let's give everyone some credit cards. Let's give everyone some Fantastic.
2: easy yeah. money
1: to spend, spend ourselves yeah. to the rehab basically. And then we all, we all danced in debt, danced our way to debt. And now we're really paying for it.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? And so it, it just became the politicians became greedier and greedier and greedier and the separation between the rich got richer and the poor got poorer okay. and poorer and poorer. And the middle got stretched out. Some of them wanted to sort of kiss the ass of the rich, and some of them wanted to sort of help the poor. And then it just snapped. And now we've got today. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know why a musician would be having to, but I sometimes think some of the best people to get us out of this are the least likely. That's true. And they probably don't want to do the job. Right. But they're born to do it. Kind of.
0: Yeah. It's it's true. Now, when you have like powerful lyrics, like, you know, like those songs, you know, Red Skies, you know, one thing leads to another, you know, all, all of them. How important is it to balance it with like a catchy, catchy music or a catchy hook to, to bring in fans to appreciate yeah. you know, both the lyrics and the, and the music?
1: Yeah. Spoonful of sugar helps the yeah. medicine go down. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I say. You know, you got to have groove. You got to have. You got to have harmony. You've got to have. Um, the musical part lifts you. It's the it's the wind and the, and right. under the wings. And then the idea is, the the thoughts. You can see. You can hear. Yeah. You know. Whenever I, I listen to Jamie and Rupert come up together and create these colours, I would always. I would always look at it like a night sky. And we would often describe our songs as visual cinematic things to each other when we were trying to conjure the mood. Right. And then I'd start to float these ideas like the stars in the sky, just trying to get people to make a constellation. So, Oh look, there's the great bear. There's Orion's Belt, And just give some sense so that the rest of the guys would get something out of the, it was more than just music to them. It was like a, a mission. yeah. So, and there were my the guys in the band have always been very supportive of the lyrics. And I've tended to shy away from personal love songs. Other people write beautiful love songs. It's not right. that I don't listen to yeah. them. It's just in the kind of group that we were. We were a, a thinking man society. You know, we would sit around the pub discussing yeah. the world's problems. And right. I've got, I would go to bed and think, how can I kind of, put together the collective view of how all five of us think. And we would have very opposing opinions sometimes and somehow the song would unify us and we would agree to disagree. And then we would realize the creative process is the balance of destruction and creativity. And that's always, that's true in everything in life. And so that's why uh, the fixed music resonates down the middle right now. We, uh, we have, We have fans from both sides of the aisle, and I I love them both because they're fixed fans. I don't care about anyone's politics. I just know that if you like the music, you've got something in there that we can salvage. Right. It's true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Now, like music, like today, they don't really have strong messages, I feel, anymore. Everything is just kind of catchy and fluff. Do Do you feel that way?
1: Yeah, I do. But maybe I. I think that because I've grown a little more mature and my, my adolescent angst has waned that I I don't resonate with the culture as much. I know that young people still pick up certain tunes that have triggers for them and represent who they are and their identity. Um, I think maybe the problem is a little deeper with cult of personality People become too famous too quickly and they don't realize that they're just being used as a kind of a fashion backdrop and the uh, the song kind of comes and goes and the kids are like, suddenly realize, oh, but that was so yesterday. Now I'm into this. I hate that. There was no kind of sense of bringing who you liked last year with you into this year because oh, you'd be so embarrassed to turn up wearing yesterday's Right. T shirt, fan t shirt for (laughs) that. And that's a sad thing because they'll look back and think, oh, that, but that was really me. Those were identities that helped me to survive certain part of my angst. Uh, So here we are now, middle aged or whatever. We're kind (laughs) of like, we've forgotten more than we'll ever know. Right. So it's a different thing you know there there are some great musicians around, and there's some music it just doesn't get played. into our yeah. yeah it doesn't get played doesn't get into our busy yeah. right. sound bitten yeah. rage anymore you know yeah you like what you like and right. um, i'm always right now I kind of find people through um you know obviously through lockdown I've been listening to a lot of Netflix and um the, the music that goes behind these right. shows. There's, particularly at the moment, I've been looking at this thing that was called The Young Pope with Jude okay. Law. right? And the music in there is very subtle and it's very different. You know, you kind of think, oh, The Young Pope's going to be very classical and very right. that, but it isn't. It's very hip and very undercurrent to this mood. So I bought the soundtrack from that. And from that, I've been listening to what this guy has been doing. And I was like, wow, there's some amazing music. And it's got nothing really to do with the charts. It has nothing to do right. with, there's quite often very few words. Right. And so I like music without lyrics because, uh, because I don't want to hear anyone else's words. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right. No, no it's, um, it's, it's nice to hear music without um, too much yeah mean meaning sometimes
0: because sometimes you could just you know shut off your brain and just kind of enjoy it
1: yeah yeah it's like a massage right exactly
0: that's why they play that uh, new age music for a reason
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so it's become that unfortunately because there's so much more access to that stuff music the kind of power that music had back then to really imprint and elevate right it's it's lost its meaning there's now video games Playstation, Xbox, kids have got so many things to put alongside. For us, it was just like go home, up to your room, shut your parents out, turn your stereo up, and travel with the sound, and and fly the flag of your independence through the band you were listening to. And it was big, and it was like a tattoo that's still in your brain. Right, Uh, that that was that was a great thing. I mean, I was just saying today. Um, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. I just oh, heard. Yeah. Super sad. You know, just thinking how we're at the point where we start to lose so many great talents. Um, yeah. I was just think thinking of the time I was in Detroit, a Detroit hotel. I had a show downstairs at some Omni. Blah blah. Okay. Right. And and Van Halen had a show two nights after us. And Eddie was prone to sort of midnight rehearsing. Right. So all you could hear was, <laughs> but yeah. these scales were so amazing. And I tell you, I didn't miss not sleeping a, a wink that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he was Rest in peace. Yeah. Up. So you know, there's a lot of great, uh, he was a guy that touched millions of people with just the right note. Just, you know, and phenomenal. Yeah other
0: artists like him that you like that people may be surprised that you're fans of?
1: I don't know what's surprising about, you know, but I like Karen Carpenter. The Carpenters were very big in my world because Karen Carpenter had one of the most amazing voices that humanity's ever heard. Yeah. You know, the, the darkness in her personal life. Right. Gave her the light in her voice. Yeah. And her only escape was singing. And I think that connected so much. Forget how, you know, maybe middle of the road, some of the chord structures were, but then I love Burt Bacharach. I like Henry Mancini. And then along comes Elvis Costello and makes a fantastic album, Painting from Memory with Burt Bacharach. One of my favorite records of all time. Leonard Cohen was really important for me. Yeah. Um, David Bowie, Edith Piaf. Bob, it's all over the map. I'm all over the map. As long as it was true and had something that, I mean, these people had things that, I still wish I have that. You know, they. I think about the greats every time I try and sing something, and I think of the effect that it had on me, and try and evoke that. You know.
0: Yeah. No, that's good because it's always good to be well versed in music, just not like just one particular genre, because you're you're limiting yourself to so much you know, amazing music. And I'm sure people who listen to your stuff feel the same way about your music as you felt about, you know, Bowie and Costello and like Andrew Mancini. So,
1: yeah, 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 exactly. And and then we have parts of the day, like, you know, Miles, Miles Davis time of day.
0: Yep.
2: Exactly. You know,
1: and then it's a Bob Marley time of day. And then right. it's a John Lennon time of day. It's a Leonard Cohen time. This different, different different times of the day for different yeah. moods.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So then, you know, uh, you guys released uh, "Reach the Beach," your, your second album, which you know was was fantastic as as well. You know, Rupert Hein did that. Was um, what was like the thought process of going to that album? It was just you wanted to do, just kind of build upon "Shutter Room."
1: Yeah, I think "Reach the Beach" was different because we had the we had less amount of time to put it together. Right. Shut, "Shuttered Room" is a collection of our songs that we'd had since Jamie joined the band and we changed our name to The Fix and we had like a good two year period to two, three year period to, to write stuff, two years. And so Reach the Beach was written in a much shorter time frame, six months. And some of it was actually written when we came over to America to tour the Shuttered Room album around Thanksgiving, 1982. We already had three or four songs that were going to become on the reach that we're going to turn up on the reach, okay. the beach stuff. So, and then we then went to the studio and wrote the rest of the record in the studio.
2: Okay.
1: So, uh, you yeah, know, a much more short period, but we had a defined um, idea of the mood we were in. Obviously, we'd been super excited from Shuttered Room right. being, being noticed. Yeah. That was a big thing. And so, started to experiment much more with rhythm and um, digital equipment just started, to, the environment in the studio started to become much more fluid, synthesizers were more colorful, um, effects were starting to become very powerful, That they were like instruments rather than just effects. So with Rupert Hine and Stephen Taylor and the guys in the band, we were able to really start to play with a, a sonic that made this very tight yeah. super tight clean sound which was like very it's matched the time I mean the 80s was very much about these very clean lines and very yeah even though we were all walking around with big hair and shoulder pads right yeah. the music itself and I think we nailed something with the album that was no one had really ever heard that tightness of sound and how the guitar sound was like right soft glass that's like frosted glass and um, we had a lot of fun with that and so we knew we had something different when we put it out um, we didn't know how it was going to um, be accepted but we had a couple of things you know saved by zero was the first right. single out, out of the back and that kind of caught people's attention they, they didn't quite know why what was it about this little What's that mean, say by zero? I feel like I need to know what that means. And it meant a lot of things to different people. And the joy for me has been to learn all those different meanings. Yeah. And it's, it's become a much bigger zero. It's an inclusive mm. zero. Right. Yeah. And so there's that. And then one thing leads to another came after. There's almost like a, a, a word play. You start from zero, then you go to one. And then, you know, it was starting to build. It right. wasn't very much like anyone else's music. We had our own very distinct sound. Mm. We were able to build on it. Uh, our personal lives were in complete tatters, which was, which was great, because that was rock and roll. Right. <laughs> um, but it, no, it was kind of a little weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I think um, wherever there's a little bit of success, there's always a little bit of uh, change so we all went through big changes during that record
0: right
1: so and we're is, still together the five of us which, are still yeah. together
0: which is great you can't say that for many bands from that yeah time, you know absolutely yeah, so, exactly. yeah.
1: so what does saved
0: by zero mean to you
1: can't fall from the floor really once you get to a point where your mind is still right you've got absolutely nothing left in your mind it's a place to grow from. It's a place where you can really hear that silence is a presence. Mm. And uh, to me, it's almost, well, it is, it's my sense of God. It's a sense of oneness with everything and everyone. And it's like lifting into the unified field of um, being, experiencing life rather than, being alive, it's experiencing it as well as being it and sensing it. Yeah. Um, that, that's the journey. And quite often in life, things come a long way, push you out of that moment, a lot of times, right. but it, it was a quest to get my mind still maybe because I had an ADD as a kid. It was like my first way to really shut it down so that I could right. yeah. not shut it down, turn it off more to the point. Yeah. And, and, um, I think it saved my life actually because I could have been a lot crazier than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was headed for like some extremes, I should say that weren't too healthy choices. And so Saved by Zero came along as a kind of a personal message or a message. I look at it as being a message from my uncle Jeff, who I always think about. He died when I was eight and he was the one who taught me a lot of chords. Right. I think about him a lot. I thought it was like a sort of, Boof, was like a an aura of safety that he put around me and he was just, just think about this. Right. Paul and it uh, still to this day I my hair's turn uh, going in when I I think about that. So yeah, it's a powerful song for me. Right. Um, see it feels a bit weird when I watch um Fidelity Investments or Toyota <laughs> yeah. use it right. say by zero financing, but you know what, the song was written with a different emotion. And yeah. luckily, I think Uncle Jeff took care of the fact that we have a little bit of we have some coins as well. So that we can make some money out of a song too. So it's been it's been, been a lifesaver actually.
0: Right. Oh good. Yeah. Now I, I usually ask this at the end, but um where's like the most interesting place you heard one of your songs on the radio? You mentioned say about zero being in a commercial, but like Um Kathmandu. Okay.
1: Yeah. Kathmandu, um, I heard, are we ourselves? Wow. (laughs) Coming out just random. Yeah. Well, that was far far away and then kind of I always get a thrill when I hear it
0: yeah that's good
1: <laughs> you know quite often you'd be walking down and uh, I remember one time in LA just walking down the street and seeing this car convertible going by we had cameras in Paris blaring out and I was like right where do, where do I where do I know that song from <laughs> I was like, oh and that was a that was a big rush. It's so almost as big a rush as hearing it on the radio. Right. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. Ah, uh, the radio. I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah, Who listens to that anymore? Unfortunately. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. Bad. Yeah. well Did you um think that one thing leads another would be like your, your guys' biggest hit?
1: You know, no, not really. I had <laughs> no idea. I had no idea. Um, you know, if you knew it would probably, you'd probably ruin it before you'd finished it somehow. And the confidence would overcook the cake and it would just yeah. be, you You can't know the best things that are going to happen to you in life. If you do, they're not surprises. And if they're not surprises, they're just loops, loops of, yeah. Of entitlement rather than gratitude for su- of the surprise. Um, the problem also is is when you try after one thing leads to another to sit back and try and write something that's going to be as big as that. You're already a slave of the success there, right. yeah, and that and that can mess with your head chasing success. So at some point we, uh, I can track our career by the time we come after reach the beach with phantoms.
2: Yeah.
1: you know the the pressure from on ourselves that we put on ourselves in the record company to come up with something as big was just ridiculous. Yeah. Why, how, how could you? So that's why I, I call it phantoms. It just felt like it was a darker right. journey The I mean, things had started to go ooh, ooh, a little weird, um, but it was still a very creative time. So as a band, we enjoyed that. And then, mm-hmm. then walkabout comes out after that. And again, the record company is still trying to chase something where we're, you know, multi platinum albums yeah. to gold albums to oh you just missed the you just missed the mark on that one but we love you and it, you know for us it was still gravy to me the fact that i sold enough records to just get one copy to give to my mom was like success
0: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but was there ever like tension between you you guys and the record company about that or no
1: Um, A little bit, a little bit. I think we we ended up, you know, MCA had kind of pushed through a few times with, they were very patient with us and they they start to look for the next new big thing and their attentions waned. But then when another record company wants you, we were lucky. We had a a guy called William Whitman, who was producer, who was also signed as an A&R guy to BMG he really, really appreciated the fix. right? And so he came and asked us to leave MCA. And so there's a big legal thing where we were able to leave MCA and go on to BMG and we made Calm Animals. And it was, luckily it was just at the time when I was starting to get curious about what the fix would sound like with a different producer. I'd also started writing songs on guitar right. instead of um, piano. Jamie's a very good guitar teacher. So he taught me a few things yeah. that I was able to start expressing myself in a very simple way on the guitar. Yeah. And that worked well yeah. with Bill Whitman's kind of tastes. And we developed a really good relationship. Um, much more, a much longer time period. We were writing and writing for a year, two years before we actually recorded right. Calm animals. Um, but it was a fantastic effort. I really enjoyed making that record with him. Yeah. And no, looking looking back, some of the songs that I really love singing live are those songs right. on that record. Nice. No, it's, so, um,
0: yeah, it's really yeah. re- really good. Now, those albums, were you like aware that they would I mean, as great as they are, you know, critically, I guess, and you know, for yourself, yeah. but like not. Kind of transforming that into you know record sales, was was that okay? As long as you kind of, uh, it was are, okay.
1: okay. As a yeah, it was okay with us creatively because in the end you do you do things for yourself, right? Um, in terms of the expectations that you know your lifestyle is expecting certain things to happen yeah. and the record companies expecting certain things to happen. The amount of money that people were throwing at things to make things happen yeah. that don't end up happening, right. you know, the, the going in the hole at record companies because they want to make like hundred thousand dollar videos when a $5,000 video would be fine.
2: Yeah.
1: And, it, and it, guess who ends up paying for the hundred thousand yeah. dollar video that you, that you don't really want to make. Right. But, but it goes on your not and in the end for the big record companies they're making so much money on their evergreen records the elvis records and this and the that that they need some write-offs yeah so it's a mutually beneficial feeding ground you can have creative music curation you can develop artists and if they don't quite sell it's okay because you can write it off against the stuff that's going to sell forever in a day so that was a good relationship and Maybe at the time, I kind of thought that as a bit of a cynical thing, but looking back, yeah. that would be an amazing thing to be happening now. It would be great if iTunes actually put some money back into developing younger artists. Maybe we, we would be listening to some great artists.
2: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: There are, there are some great artists out there, but the way that it gets nurtured, not so many get through the, yeah. the, the process. You know, know, we all love Billy Eilish, fantastic. But how many other Billy Eilishes are there out there? Right. You know, we we love Bon Iver, brilliant. Yeah. How many other great Bon Ivers are out there? You know, music isn't rocket science. There's a lot of people that have the key to sounding great and writing good songs. They just don't get heard. Right.
0: Because, yeah, yeah, now it's like no one gets a record deal, they just put them up on YouTube. And then it's, yeah. that, you know, and it's there's yeah. so stuff out there. It gets lost. Like, you, yeah. The
1: record company. Yeah. The record companies come along when you've got your own hundred thousand hit fans. Right. And they'll go, oh, thank you. We can turn that into 10 million now. Yeah. Right. When, it's, a, it's like a no risk business. Exactly and,
0: right. Because when the artist did all the you know, the heavy lifting, you know, it's, it's so
1: yeah, true. Which is, in a way, we did the heavy lifting too in the back in the day. Right. It was what? just we weren't expecting anything. And so we did do the heavy lifting. So it's good to do the heavy lifting, but now right. it's just done, done differently.
0: Yeah. How much fun was
1: it touring in those early days? Fantastic. Yeah. Bouncy, cool. bouncy van, up all night, no sleep. Yeah. Uh, just brilliant. Best experience of my life is like not being in the army, but like being in some kind of wild, right. Hondo raid, you know, where <laughs> yeah. you just turn up and you never get bored because you're always in the next town. Right. You, it's an amazing draft of culture that you're soaking up different languages, different um, different ways of living. And the music is the constant and different foods, different well, everything. Yeah. You know, the whole, The whole thing when you're young, it's just an amazing experience. Right
0: how much did MTV in those early days kind of like help your career
1: uh big big time i think MTV was like the first sort of national station that would bring everyone together if you got a video on MTV you knew you were going to be on the east coast and the west coast whereas up until then you'd you know you'd have a radio station you'd break out of a market and then you'd right. work to another market we had that happen both times. We kind of had Lost Plains, was working out of Boston. That's right. Off WBCN and then then Red Skies came out and that was working through the radio. But then once down to fall, MTV was really yeah. plugging away. And I, I know Video Killed the Radio Stars was like the number, was the first video ever played. Yeah. But we were right behind them on the playlist and I can remember being in New York and seeing our stand of four video, like going, going like fourteen times a day because they didn't have enough content to fill twenty-four hours.
2: Right. And was, we oh, were yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, we were getting slammed on that thing, so it was amazing. And so you could just see that the record sales were kind of going like this, and then suddenly went. Whoosh. And then when we came out with the Reach the Beach, it was a different right. game altogether.
0: Right. Yeah. It, uh, I you don't know.
1: Yeah, I think though maybe part of me thinks that the way we were developing from that first album to how, if you skip reach the beach and go back into Phantoms, there was a lineal, there was a progression into how the band was. Right. Suddenly, suddenly MCA kind of saw us as a pop band for a couple of years. Yeah. Whereas we never, we never saw ourselves right. that. Yeah, we we did play the game and we got right. caught in that that war yeah. of it was fun but it wasn't really what the band was about and by the time we came to our senses late phantoms touring we started to get deep again and the record sales were going down because the records record company was looking at us as a pop vehicle and we were more and aor radio was Mm -hmm. suffering because mtv was king and dictating playlists right so radio stations were changing their formats and then you had all this hot ac and adult contemporary and all this rubbish that they started to music is music so I I often wonder if you know that started to divide people that was the beginning of the division in a way like you before you could accept whether you it was all worked together somehow right but not anymore
0: no so so what would you like kind of define the band as like a genre
1: I don't know we're like a Alternative, yeah, but alternative to what?
0: Right.
2: Um,
1: I, I've often wondered. Yes. I never saw ourselves as being poppy because I don't think our lyrics are kind of yeah. throw away. And we've got some musicians in the band that really, you know, really have got something very unique about them. So it's not, you know, the fact that it's popular pop music, yeah, it's good to have a couple of songs that everyone knows and I wouldn't take that away. We've got a few songs that people okay. go, whoa. and the thing we have is we have like 12 very popular songs, but not everybody knows it's the fix because it's so spread out over right. different. If you still to this day with people going, Oh, we didn't know you had though at that mm-hmm. and that and that, I thought you were just the one thing leads to another one hit wonders. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice to, it's nice to sew all these songs onto a necklace and hand that to someone and say, Hey, look, this is what we, we are. We're the jewels, man.
0: Right. Yeah. And you were on a couple soundtracks back in the 80s. Uh, Streets of Fire, I love that movie. Great soundtrack, you yeah, know, deeper and deeper. Just yeah, fun.
1: yeah, we were lucky on that one. That was a yeah. good one. Right. stupid thing i did there was <laughs> that song should have been on the phantoms album okay but i kind of made the call and said oh we didn't write it in the same concept as phantoms album so we'll leave it right. off duh had yeah. we had we had that on the album i think phantoms would have outsold reach the beach wow
0: yeah because yeah because that soundtrack was was fantastic There's was a lot of other you know great bands that probably would have definitely helped uh
1: yeah also they, they we also were offered um, don't don't you forget about me oh wow uh, keith keith borsey offered us that soundtrack and then we, right. i was like no nah, i don't feel like doing it and then simple minds went and did it and had a huge hit with it right i was great current in business spirit.
0: i know yeah, <laughs> yeah. what if <laughs> what if yeah and then uh, the fletch soundtrack with uh, letters to both sides
1: Yeah, it's a good little good little oh, song wow. yeah, yeah it's a great little song kind of tucked in there
0: yeah now how um like how does that come about do they approach you as like we want these songs or they just lift songs from your catalog and then this um back to you we
1: at that point uh, deeper and deeper we wrote specifically for streets right. of fire jimmy Iovine right. had, had called me up and said hey we're putting together the soundtrack for this movie yeah. want to write something and I was living in New York with Jamie and um, I said, sure, sure. But yeah. classically I forgot that he was coming on a certain day to hear something. And I suddenly remembered he was coming in like about an hour and I had nothing. And right. Jamie, Jamie was living in the apartment down below me. So I opened the window and I shouted yeah. out, I go, Jamie, get your ass up here. <laughs> we got to put Jimmy, I, I mean, coming to hear something. And we haven't, we haven't got anything. And so I think I'd been fiddling, on some kind of idea up the night before, so Jamie comes in. He's like, "What? What?" I said, "We've got to put yeah. something together on this little." We had this little TAC four-track recorder, and the pace is like the nervousness. It came out. We just managed to get like three tracks put together and have an idea. And Ivy walks in, and he's like. Because he's a smart guy. He can recognize that something's going to be good or bad <laughs> yeah. from just a demo. And so he goes, yeah, oh, that's going to be good. Okay, well, we'll do it. And I was like, oh, my God. And wow. so we went on from that. And then and that, but that is how Jamie and I often worked. We would yeah. get these 10-minute
2: right.
1: mad moments. And then we would go out and stretch it out and get the rest of the guys in. Yeah. One thing leads to another. Same thing. That's 10 minutes to write that song. Wow, huh. I know the rest of it it took days to get it right. sounding thing, but to get the initial fish out on the hook and out the water right. was was he and i so you know again we had no idea what was coming and uh some of our best stuff comes that way right wow <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i'll end you with this uh first the the first place you heard it, one of your songs on the radio remember where you were
1: Yeah, I was sitting at Farmyard Studios with the guys. We'd um, recorded some people. Okay. And uh, we were told that we'd recorded that and we were still finishing the record, but the single was ahead of the time in England. So they told us, that sounded great. I nearly choked on my food. (laughs) (laughs) That's great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everyone check out Lockdown. It's on the streaming sites. It's definitely for this time that we're living in now it's these, these crazy times and all of all of, uh size music with the fix still uh, holds up today it's still fantastic and um Sai, i really appreciate your time today
1: yeah my pleasure i mean i'm captured captive audience right now so yeah <laughs> thank god for zoom
0: and a special thanks to cy for joining me today follow him on twitter at cy kernan you can also follow the band at Fix Online. You can check out their website, thefix.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at thefirstnall19 or like the page, Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we have had. While you're there, please rate and view the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found. You can go to relivingmyyouth.throwless.com for all your merchandise, T-shirts, hoodies, phone cases. It's all there. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. See you then.